Fair warning, the following contains disturbing sexual imagery and criminality. The names and identifying information of the perpetrator of these crimes and of his victim have been changed to protect all concerned. Everyone listening should proceed with a thoughtful consideration of utmost caution. These are real crimes of real offenders. You are traveling through another dimension that is disallowed by religion and tightly regulated by law. It is not explored by science. It is a dimension of sense and pleasure, of terror and the irrational. Our journey takes us into a wondrous and deeply personal land whose boundaries, if they exist at all, are entirely of our own making. Our next stop, Sex Crime Central. Victor Cardona was a proud and active member of his tribe. He was bright, ambitious, and suddenly the recipient of all the money he needed to make his escape from the limitations of the res. This was his time. This was his opportunity to make his dreams come true. Sadly, Victor had become free and financially able after a youth spent learning all the wrong lessons. His occupation? Since leaving the home life that he found so limiting, Victor hasn't quite figured out that he actually has an unsustainable lifestyle. He spent his time enjoying the quiet of his own place and the sleep that comes from feeling safe for the first time in a troubled life. At present, Victor's acclimating to the world outside the res has preoccupied him greatly. Never having been responsible for making his own living, he simply lived unaware of the need to replace the money melting away from his bank account until he received his bank statement's frightening news. He immediately got a job, but unused to the physical demands of daily work, he felt so tired and sore every day that he found himself in the habit of calling for an Uber Instead of finding a cheaper way home, leaving early from work one night, the attractive female driver asked him where he wanted to go. He gave her his address, but she took him to where he didn't really know he wanted to go. A way station known as Sex Crime Central. A place where riders make connections they never knew existed. Eighteen-year-old Victor Cardena didn't know what he didn't know. What he did know was that he was not going to end up like some of the people in his family, and he was not going to allow his life to limp along until he died. He wanted to make a significant contribution to his people and his world. After all, that's why he'd learned and then taught others his native language. That's why he was laser-focused on doing something, being something, and getting off the res for good. So when he received his share of what the tribe called government money, as an adult of 18 years of age, he left for good. What Victor didn't know was how inadequately prepared he was for life off the res. He had finished high school and had done well, but his entire life had been spent in the small community made up of the local native population. 
He was proud of himself, his people, and his culture, and he knew he wanted to do something, maybe something artistic to further his people's culture. But Victor had no idea about his future career and no real idea where money was going to come from. After all, why worry? He had more money than he'd ever had, more than he'd ever dreamed of having, and he knew that somehow, magically, things would just work out. Somehow. He knew it wasn't enough money to pay for an advanced education, but it was definitely enough to finance his escape. So after getting an apartment in town, Victor set about figuring out life. He walked a lot, he thought a lot, and because he was free of the yelling and the chronic domestic violence in his home, he was free to relax for what seemed like the first time ever. Having kept one eye open all the time for more family drama, he now found himself in a life where he never slept so well. Just living like he was living was so amazing, he paused to enjoy it. That pause lasted four months. But understandably, for a man living for the first time free from fear and anxiety, it was like heaven on earth. When he got that last bank statement, he was blown away. Where did all my money go, he thought. But deep down, he knew he'd been blowing it. Now he didn't feel full of purpose. In fact, he'd never felt so small and insignificant. It was horrible. But Victor was not a lazy man, so he went out that day and got a job in a local warehouse. The work was long and hard, and Victor was sore and tired like he'd never been. Often he was so tired he'd take an early out, and even more often, instead of saving money and taking the bus or simply walking home, he'd call an Uber. His thinking had become addled with how depressed, anxious, and unfulfilled he felt on a daily basis. Talking to the attractive 40-year-old driver who was speaking to him in a friendly way, naturally, Victor concluded she was flirting with him. Victor felt an impulsive need for control surge through him. He thought to himself, I need control now. A young man, Victor had nevertheless had some sexual experiences. One of them was with an older woman he'd seen at ceremony. She was a stranger, but she seemed friendly, like this driver. Like this driver, she talked to him in a friendly way, and she smiled. And with the native woman at the ceremony, when he had taken her arm in his hand, she had responded well. And Victor had then and there learned that not being so passive yielded great results. The two had sex later in the day. So naturally enough, Victor put his hand on his driver's leg. Stop, she yelled, and Victor complied, but... He needed that control, so he decided, some might call it impulsive, to take his penis from his pants and begin to masturbate. Again, his driver yelled, don't do that. This shocked Victor because he genuinely thought she liked him and that despite having talked warmly about her husband, that she would be really into this. Not wanting to scare her, Victor stopped what he was doing and put little Victor back in his pants when they arrived at his home, he departed his vehicle without further incident. It was only when he got home to his apartment and had laid down that Victor began processing what had happened. It felt like a sneeze I had to get out, he thought to himself. Then he experienced a dawning realization of how crazy his behavior really was, and he thought, oh my God, 
What have I done? Wow. (laughs) I have a lot of questions. Yeah. First of all, why would Victor assume that that would be not only a reasonable or okay action, but any in any way appealing to the Uber driver? Like, I don't, I don't understand how. Are you saying there. that's not the normal way relationships start? Not in my experience <laughs> okay, okay. or in my knowledge, but. <laughs> well, you know, just starting with that place of why would anybody do that? I think that's actually where I start. And that's where I started yeah. in, in my career working with people convicted of sex crimes. Because for me, figuring out why was such an intriguing possibility. I just knew that it couldn't be as simple as, oh, they're evil or they're bad or or anything like that. And in this case, I think we have enough clues to understand, even from the story itself, without knowing much of his background, we have enough clues to begin understanding. I mean, it seemed like he actually thought that this was like a viable solution to however he was feeling. I mean, how... That's the question that I'm wondering. He actually seemed like he thought that this would be opening the door to some sort of sexual relationship with this woman. And that's just not a normal thought process. Well, no, I guess. hold up. Are you saying that just if you lead a man on by smiling and being friendly and polite, that he doesn't have the right to come on to you? Is that what you're That actually... is the most frustrating thing ever. <laughs> and especially as a woman, you know, taking an Uber wherever and it, all of the issues that have surrounded that means of transportation, it's just... This is baffling to me. How would you think that that's okay? You know, again, uh, not to make light of a crime, but it it seems like this is a pretty common irrational belief a lot of males have. Yeah. Is that if some woman at school or a woman at work, uh, a woman walking down the street or at the grocery store smiles, well, she must want sex. And I have heard those thoughts expressed by many, many men. And sometimes they're projecting something on the woman like, oh, she wants me. She wants me bad. And they've never even exchanged a word. But he can just tell, you know, from... In the- quotes. <laughs> tell. He can tell. <laughs> and it's, of course, it's crazy. Of course, it's insane. And it makes no sense at, at, at first blush. But then when you come to understand, you know, from a scientific point of view, the way people think... We generalize from a very small number of experiments to the greater world around us. And so if it happened, if you have a very limited sexual experiences, and he, he did have very limited sexual experience. And one of those experiences included a woman of a relatively similar age who was a stranger up until he touched her arm. Uh, and it had started off with her smiling in his direction. Lord knows if it was even at him, Mm -hmm. and they end up having sex later that day. So in his young teenage brain, that's a thing that happens. And with the limited Was he a teenager when when this happened? He was 18, yes. Okay. Doesn't make it better, but that, (laughs) (laughs) I mean... No, but you can understand. I mean, there's an old French saying, again, that is very important to me, and it's to understand is to forgive. I could say it in French, but I don't like to show off. So, you know, for me, the 
I find myself resisting understanding because I somehow don't want to forgive. I want to keep up that that um, barrier uh, that hostility brings so that I can disdain this person and not think for a minute any of that is in me. That's just an awful thought. But it is. It's, it's, I've made stupid generalizations based on limited numbers of events in my life. And well, we all have. However, I don't think that that saying (laughs) an 18 year old is somehow excused from masturbating in a a stranger's car because he just assumed that she was putting out all of these, you know, cues. I just I don't see how that would ever cross someone's rational mind of being appropriate. Yeah. At any age. I mean, I don't. You're so right to say that. And if and if I give that impression to anybody listening to this, including you, if I I, I would have to apologize because it's just one. It's mm-hmm. just one of the criminogenic variables that led to a real deterioration of the individual's ability to make good judgments. And in this case, yeah, he had that experience. And he also had the experience of utter isolation from any meaningful conversation about life, career, sexuality, friendship. You know, he had no friends, as as I've shared the story. No, he didn't, he didn't have any people coming over to his apartment. It was just him. After he left the reservation, he right. had no friends? Right. Okay. He had acquaintances on the reservation, but mm-hmm. it may only Never have been... Never any meaningful. Yeah, it may have only been 30 miles off the res, but it's another world. Yeah. And so, and the, the two don't often overlap significantly. So here he is very, you know, I recall him as a very pleasant person. He was really good hearted, very enjoyable, but he'd had this impoverished upbringing that was combined. And by impoverished, I simply mean with very significant poverty mm-hmm. and, and a very under, as is rampant, as is rampant, very few reservations. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And in his, his life, it was just like that. And also, a ton of early childhood trauma. You know, the specific trauma to him was he had a lot of boys in his family and he was one of the youngest. And so he he got pushed around a lot and yelled a lot and bullied a lot. But he also had his mom uh, going at it with whoever the current boyfriend was at the time. And there was a, always like a chronic intermittent level of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So you grow up with that and life is pretty chaotic. Mm-hmm you grow up with a lot of anxiety. And when you grow up being constantly put into DEFCON 1, you know, the highest state of alert, you end up not doing a lot of real rational thinking. You just tend to be really impulsive. And that's that language that he used. It was like a sneeze I just had to get out. Yeah, that you talked about that sense of power and control that he really needed. Yeah, he felt so out of control with his life. I mean, the money was disappearing. The only solution he knew was to get a job, but the, his career was at a place where he didn't have the background to get a higher paying job. And so he's barely squeaking by there and, and getting a little farther behind, frankly, because he's overwhelmed with the idea of going to work the way that he was working eight hours a day, five days a week. And the work was really hard and for him, especially because he had never done anything like that. So he just felt anxious all the time. So here you have an adult man with an adult male sex drive 
and all this history of trauma. And in terms of sex education, yes, like most Americans of his age, he knew how to do it. But he really didn't understand anything about what goes on in a healthy relationship where two people actually form a meaningful connection. Well, he clearly had zero social cue awareness or ability to to process any type of social cue, let alone like a relationship. But a lot of people have anxiety. A lot of people grow up in bad situations. They don't masturbate in an Uber. I mean, they just don't. That's true. So That's true. You're, what you're saying is, and I, I often hear that in court or from other professionals, whether it's law enforcement or lawyers or judges, but it's also true that we don't all become drunks and we don't all become compulsive gamblers and we don't all become compulsive shoppers or, or we don't all become like I did just a freaking control freak. I mean, I just, I was just so controlling of the most small details of other people's lives, things I had no right to be controlling about. We all manifest that need for control in different ways. And it's almost always connected with early trauma. Mm -hmm. For some of us, it means avoiding the company of others and or avoiding women altogether for the incel who's terrified of women, he gets a sense of control from avoiding women. And this individual, Victor, was not like that. He he was friendly, he was kind, but yeah, he took his need for control into a direction that really, if you think about it, it was really one of the only ways he had developed so far because in his life up to leaving the res, he had not had control mm-hmm. between the bullying and the violence at home. And then his experiences at school on the res, he had never really learned how to find that place where he could feel safe and in control of his own life. So he attempted to control someone else to give him an illusion of control. So what happened to Victor? I mean, clearly the driver had called the police and he was arrested or, you know. Yeah, he got arrested. Um, he never had a prior and, and not even juvenile record of any kind. Mm-hmm. And he, by all accounts, I think presented just as he is. He's, he's a very kind, intelligent person. Very, and actually, surprisingly, uh, very emotionally sensitive. And the judge saw this and uh, sentenced him, but also on top of that sentence gave him a, a sentence of probation. Since it's suspended provided the defendant completes a period of probation. And that's when you met him. That is when I met him. Mm -hmm. And he ended up completing his probation and doing super well and has gone on to have a really great life. I still just can't really wrap my head around the fact that he did this at all. I mean, (laughs) I just... It doesn't make any sort of sense to me that that would at all feel appropriate or feel like something that was wanted, but I guess I, I just don't understand the I, motivation I, that you had. I, I think that you're quite right because in saying what you say, because when we're victimized or even victimized by proxy, you know, sympathetic to some other victim that is, and we can put ourselves in her shoes, it is shocking to us. And that old French saying comes back to haunt us. We don't want to understand it. And so we immediately are, we recoil in horror. That sick, 
these people all it should is be- sick i mean what he did is sick like i don't i, I don't understand how you can get to that place i love the way you say that because it's <laughs> such feeling you know he's sick <laughs> and i think that is how i think i responded mm-hmm. earlier in my own process but if you take the words literally that's sick sick people logically enough need treatment sick Happy people end. should not be put in prison for sickness. And I think that it's quite understandable that when we're frightened, our amygdala gets aroused and we want to, you know, stomp something to death. We want to get people like Victor out of our lives, out of our view, out of our society. But a crime like this in particular, it's not the sort of crime that's going to put him away for life in prison. No. Even if we imprison him to punish the evil that he has done, he's eventually going to end up being released back into the community. So if his criminal behavior is the result of some sort of emotional illness, some sort of behavioral illness, then maybe in the long-term best interests of the community, we simply need to understand him and help him. So in your experience working with him, did he have any of, you know, sort of the um, personality disorders that we've talked about previously, or did he have any of these signs or was he just, he was made not, a bad decision. Yeah. I don't, it's a really good question you ask. Cause he didn't have any obvious mental illness. He just, I would say he grew up in a environment where he was, uh, experiencing a lot of cultural deprivation, even though he was very much in love with his tribal culture. He, and in terms of his awareness of the larger culture, you know, across mm-hmm. America, he was really very much uninformed. He had no idea how to get his sexual needs met in a way that was both legal and honorable. Um, he, Because no one ever talked to him about it, some sort of holistic sex education. And yeah, I know the mind immediately goes back to this, but we don't all end up doing that. And again, because we're all different yeah. and we all have different experiences. Had he gotten into the Uber and shared it with somebody else, that never would have happened. Um, had he gotten into the Uber and there had been a guy there. If it was a male driver, it yeah. It never would have happened. And had he had more money backing him up, he never would have taken an Uber, you know, or been worried about. He would have owned his own car. Or he would have had some other coping strategy other than working in a, a job that he had, like the money he had. He would have gone to school, for example. But I feel like... These are all circumstantial things that almost feels like you're defending him in a way because it's like if he had gotten a better job, if he had better education, if he had gotten a male driver, like it's almost like you're kind of portraying it as like this was the perfect opportunity. However, there are millions of people every day who get who males get into a female driven Uber and don't masturbate. Yes, you're you're you're. Exactly right. And yet there are far too many of these occurrences. And and maybe as a society, instead of simply passing a law saying, don't do this, Mm -hmm. we should figure out why it is some people do this. Because Victor did not want to grow up to become a sex offender. Mm -hmm. You know, that that was Victor losing his way. It was not intentional on his part. Yeah. And you mentioned like the impulsivity behind his actions. And I guess I understand that aspect, but as far as you're talking about, you know, we talk a lot about prevention. Could this have been prevented? I mean, 
How? Well, that's the, the best question of all, isn't it, for all of us to figure out. Could this have been prevented? Well, <clears throat> certainly too late for Victor, right? Mm -hmm. But not too late for all the other future Victors out there. And so, yeah, we could take seriously the trauma inflicted on uh, multiple generations of Native Americans. We could do something to treat that holistically uh, by not only helping them with better behavioral health, but also helping them in terms of better education, better healthcare system, and all the rest. We could also make sure all of our children get a more holistic sex education that isn't just about this is a penis or this is a vagina, but how it is we, we form intimate connections and, and what the word consent means and mm -hmm. how to establish consent instead of assuming she's going to be okay with my exposing myself to talk about it in a way that makes sense. Like, would you mind if I held your hand? Uh, or even just simply non-verbally putting a hand out for her to take. And that's a very clear message where she has the right to withhold consent to hand-holding. And then, but he went right for the goal. Oh, he passed know? all of those markers. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he, he did. And, but yeah. not intentionally, it's out of sheer ignorance. So when we talk about prevention, we need to talk to our young people about consent, but also we can't just say, you need to get consent before you do anything, because that's not helpful. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. That's helpful information. Victor Cardena was finally free to be himself off the res away from his crazy home, and his life was full of potential. Yes, Victor Cardena had artistic talent, real intelligence, and a good heart. What he didn't know was that he also had a plethora of irrational beliefs about how dreams become realities, about women, and about sex. Victor Cardena never got the treatment to overcome his or his people's early and chronic childhood trauma. Victor Cardena never got the training to know how relationships work through intimacy as opposed to just magically coming together. After years of chronic abuse and neglect, Victor Cardena finally got the lift he needed to a place known as Sex Crime Central, a place where he could learn the life lessons he so badly needed. You're listening to Sex Crime Central with psychotherapist Stephen Ng. This has been an Ng Intellectual production with original score by Octophonics, audio production by Steve Cooper, and video production by Jesse McCloskey. Follow Stephen on social media platforms at Stephen Ng MFT or visit StephenNg.com for more information. Don't forget to subscribe to Sex Crime Central and leave us a review with your thoughts on each episode. We'd love to hear from you.